Your Tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker. Then I'll see you in hell. To the Beyond the First Marker podcast. Beyond the First Marker is a podcast that explores the greater Star Wars universe and how to represent themed characters, units, and battles on the Star Wars Legion tabletop. This will involve digging into the rules and sharing modeling options to make your favorite units a playable reality. We are an Australian-based podcast and will be regularly chatting with members of the Australian Legion community and the larger global community. Thank you for joining us. Yes, welcome to Beyond the First Marker, Star Wars Legion podcast. I'm your co-host, Drew, a.k.a. Drew Barker, and with me tonight is, familiar to most of you, Brad, a.k.a. Lowbrad. How you doing, Lowbrad? Man, I'm good. I'm good. How you doing, Drew? Uh, very good. Very excited to be here. Now, if we're talking Drew Barker, does that mean I get to start calling you Drewy? Yeah, look, I'm used to being shortened, so Drewy's, Drewy works fine for me. It is a very Australian thing to shorten names, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a very, it's a very Australian shortening, really. It is, it is, isn't it? Although right. most yep. people call me Drew, so it's it's a lengthening, really. But I'm happy. I'm happy with Drew for now. There you go. There you go. Well, um, as Drew pointed out, um, some of you may know my name um, or my voice, I should say. Uh, I am the host of uh, the Warlord Games official podcast and um, of Cast Ice, the network that puts this podcast out. Um, you may have heard me on those podcasts or on different bolt action podcasts over the years. Um, but uh, the reason that a lot of people in the Star Wars podcasting gaming world might know, um, my name at least, not my voice, is uh, on the old Star Wars Armada FFG game, um, there was, of course, forward uh, Intensify Forward Firepower podcast, um, you know, Drunk Tarkin and the whole and all those guys. Um, I was the guy who was the silent one. And as this podcast progresses, if you are not familiar with my work, you will find out that um, silence is rare for me. Anyway, yeah, that's weird, dude. That's weird. The silent I, one. Yeah, I, I think it was something like twenty episodes, and I never said a word. <laughs> yeah, ironic. Anyway, um, welcome to the inaugural episode of Beyond the First Marker podcast. Now, this is a brand new podcast for the Cast Eye slash What is a Battle podcast network, uh, and it is run by two giant Star Wars fans, uh, two guys who have loved Star Wars from uh, their earliest days, um, who are not new to Legion, but maybe aren't the most, how should I say, Drew, meta players? Mm, yeah, not no, not so much. Uh, we played a lot with each other. That's right. A little bit with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're we're not looking we're not looking to uh, to wow anyone with our with our general skills. True. 
However, we are looking to, um, with the advent of this podcast, we have been playing more than ever, and we are planning to play even more than that. So mm. um, I'm guessing that the tactical uh, conversation that we will be having on this show will be uh, dramatically increasing uh, shortly. However, um, that isn't really the purpose of this podcast. This podcast sort of has two simultaneous... Um, how should I say, uh, prongs to its attack. Uh, the first, of course, is to talk about uh, our favorite Star Wars units, our favorite Star Wars characters, our favorite Star Wars locales or uh, background settings, uh, and taking those and talking about sort of the rich history that Star Wars has, the lore, and uh, translating that onto the Star Wars Legion uh, tabletop. Now, we are both big fans of Star Wars, as I've said. Um, and I'm a giant fan of Star Wars Legion podcasts. And I listen to, I think, I think just about all of them. Um, if I could find another one, I'd listen to that one too. Uh, and I've listened to them pretty much since the advent of the game. And I've, I've, I've loved the discussion. I've loved the crunch. I've loved the discussion of the units and um, the combinations and how things go together. I find the gamer in me finds that very entertaining and very interesting. However, I've, I've noticed that we haven't had a lot of Discussion of theme. There hasn't been a lot of discussion of um, how to theme a force, how to make an army. In uh, and, and a lot of other games, 40K, fantasy, tabletop games of a, of a numerous variety, theming is often encouraged, and people build their armies around a story, and it's sort of narrative-driven in that regard. And then they make maybe scenarios around that, and they play games um, against their army's nemesis, for example. Um, in a way that is a little more specific than how should I say rebels versus Imperials. Um, and I think that is the purpose of this. I, I think we would really like to dig into the lore, get into the stories that we love, and then talk about how we can get that onto the tabletop and maybe suggest ways that you can too. Um, both rules wise, um, because there's some fabulous cards that allow you to add some spice to units these days, but also from a modeling standpoint. Now, Drew is the modeling master. Um, Drew, you want to talk to us a little bit about some of the things you might be talking about as far as how to make your units you or more thematically inclined? Um, I would say my first thing is it, uh, to, to go with the theme, you've got to embrace the theme, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's, that is, don't, don't be too hung up on taking things that might not might not suit your play so well mm. if you want to if you want a theme theme if you if you if you if you do it sort of half-heartedly it's not going to come through it's not going to it's not going to be great right and you, you don't have to throw the game out the window but absolutely not <laughs> but you know try try different things try what fits your theme um i'm i'm probably primarily a modeler my, my painting is my painting is okay but i think i think my i'm better with a with a sculpting tool than a paintbrush. I think you're um, selling yourself a little short there, my friend, but yes, <laughs> go ahead. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like to have a very coherent, uh, theme across my armies. So I look for, uh, I look for the big picture first and mm -hmm. then I look at how I can, how I can incorporate units into that. So I'm going to be looking at, um, uh, unit selection, mm -hmm. then how I can adopt, the, or adapt the current models to fit that and to fit yeah. my theme. Right on. Visually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, 
keeping in mind this is the guy who, and I know a lot of people have been very excited about the LED um, article that FFG put out recently, but, um, and I know, I Drew, you yet. weren't necessarily the first person to do it, but you did it months ago, like six, 12 months ago. Your uh, Vader was I, lit up. It, and you I did. I had it done within a few months of the, uh, of the game dropping, like, yeah. yeah, more than a year ago. And your favorite unit, of course, you, you, <laughs> the most unmeta choice ever, uh, has been pretty much your favorite unit and is probably the most converted thing that you've done for Legion so far. That being your speeder. Um, the T-47, and of course you added LED uh, lasers coming out of its main guns um, that ran up through its base, and you had the base of it with a tow cable holding it to its base, dragging a crate. Uh, yeah, I substituted out the uh, the standard, the, the flight stand that it came with, um, and because I just wanted a bit more bulk to put some batteries in there, so I just went with a crate, because you know, if, if an airspeed has got a tow cable, then it's probably going to tow at some point. So, yeah, it's I mean, yeah, that and that, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> is sort of um, Drew's hobby in a nutshell. Uh, that is an example of the madness that this man will be bringing to the podcast, um, whereas I'm probably going to be talking more about um, 3D print uh, and third party vendor models um, that, you know, aren't official FFG models. But there are those models out there. Not always, you know, people don't always know where they are. Um, or may wonder about their quality. Um, I have quite a few, and I've been painting them up and using those for quite a while. And so I'll be talking about how you can incorporate those in your forces as well. Uh, and yeah, between the two of us, I think we're uh, fairly uh, competent painters. And so uh, the hobby, I think the hobby will be strong on this podcast, I'm, I'm hoping anyway. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we're also going to talk about the terrain, how you can theme maybe missions. Because uh, I, I, while the mission choice sort of bidding process for Legion is fantastic, um, I think occasionally, if, especially if you're trying to play themed narrative games, I think that you can play with it a bit and uh, do some interesting stuff. I know uh, the guys on the leaders, uh, sorry, the Legion Outriders podcast have done that in the past with their uh, prison break scenario amongst a couple of others. Um, and I think we'll be talking about things like that and playing those and putting them on the Cast Dice YouTube page. So looking forward to the future as far as that goes. It's now, the other thing we'll be talking about. Um, is the battlefields that you could create as well. Mm. So uh, Star Wars is such a um, such a wide variety of uh, terrain type to choose mm. from. So you know you've seen a lot of you've seen a lot of uh, probably Tatooine, um, Geonosis. They come up a fair bit. Yeah, um, Hoth is mm. is pretty popular as well. Um, but there's so much out there that I would really like to try and uh, translate onto the tabletop. Absolutely. Um, like Felucia is is one that I'm really keen to mm -hmm. uh, to bang a table out for at some point. Um, and Mandalore's pretty interesting as well. Like, yes, it's a very flat desert-like planet, but the architecture could be kind of interesting to work with. Agree. Um, with the sort of like I'm just thinking like glass boxes and big smooth domes and on a very sort of sparse pale white sandy tabletop yeah man, kind of that'd fun be as rad. Well. and i know there's been some fantastic scarif boards i mean there's been so many wonderfully um built terrain pieces and boards um that have been shown all over the internet but we in australia don't always see all of them sort of 
face to face. Um, a lot of them are in the U.S. Um, and you know Europe, but uh, we do have some very talented uh, local terrain makers too. Um, there are just some fantastic photos that have been coming up. There's some of the Facebook groups. And um, I guess through our Facebook page, I guess we'd like to start sharing those and start talking about um, you know some of the great model painters and some of the terrain that we see down here as well, not just the ones that you see uh, up in the Northern Hemisphere, although I'm sure we'll be discussing those as well. And God, Drew, I desperately want to see... A Camino board. I would love to see you know, platforms above water with waves. I think it would be absolutely fantastic. And I know there's a few people who have been putting out 3D print files of some of those, uh, I guess, as I just said, platforms rising out of the sea. And, of course, Cloud City. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about that at some point. But, that'd uh, be a that'd be a real commitment in terms of space. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't see that board being modular. I see that being a, a, a fixed... Uh, a, a board with fixed terrain pieces. It's not going anywhere, but in a store, it just look amazing. Right. Uh, or a convention, you know, piece, one of those things that you, you hook people coming in just because yeah. it just looks so different from every other tabletop around it. So I guess that takes us to our second prong, which is the local Australia sort of quote unquote meta. Now, Drew and I are not big tournament players of Legion. We have both been very prolific tournament players in other game systems over the years. Um, however, I think we're going to be tackling this from more of a, as I said, more of a uh, narrative standpoint. That said, um, Australia has a very proud wargaming pedigree. Uh, we love wargaming. Our conventions are massive. The largest uh, Age of Sigmar event in the world is held in Australia. Um, some of the biggest, you know, gaming tournaments, events, conventions are down here. Um, and given that <laughs> proportionally to our population size, that's incredible. Um, so I think it's very interesting that given how many Legion podcasts there are out there, that um, there aren't necessarily very many voices talking about the local Legion community. Um, now, I know it's a little hypocritical, Drew and I being, you know, self and we just outed ourselves as sort of garage gamers as far as Legion goes. Um, but we will be changing that. We will be interacting more with the community. That's not to say, we, we, we will play in Legion events. We, we have played yeah, in we have. at least one. True. Um, and it's not that I'm adverse to playing in tournaments. Mm, absolutely. It's just at the moment... Um, that's not the, that's, I just don't feel like that's the game I'm, I'm able to play at the moment. Yeah. Well, you also do have family obligations that often take up quite a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so Drew, father of many. So we're looking to have a sort of a rotating third chair. Um, there are two of us, of course, um, as you've picked up by now. But we would like to have regular guests on from the local Legion community, people who are playing in sort of the big events or the people who are running the big events down here and talking about what Legion looks like in Australia as opposed to other parts of the world. It's been said on many other podcasts um, for many other game systems that uh, sort of the Australian way of looking at listing, the Australia meta has always sort of been sort of skewed to one way or another, or is just weird. Um, and I'm hoping that in the Legion community, that's equally true. Um, and yeah, I think it's just going to be really exciting. Uh, now, you might say, if there are so many Legion podcasts are th out there now, why are you two starting now? I mean, w what gives? Uh, to be honest, um, we both bought the core set when it came out. We've both been playing Legion on and off since the game released. Uh, and if you've listened to Cast Dice at all, you realize that I play a lot of game systems. However, um, 
one of the things that I don't want to say kept me playing, kept me out of Legion because I was playing and painting and collecting. I have a huge Legion collection. Um, was when the game first came out, I mean, FFG had to start from scratch. It isn't like a Warhammer game where there's 30 years of models and lore and history to build from. Um, even when Age of Sigmar started, for example, um, and they quote-unquote rebooted everything, there was still a massive model range to pull from. FFG had to start from somewhere. So when I say what I'm about to say, I don't want it to appear as me being critical. I mean, when the game started, there was Luke, Vader, uh, and one troop choice for either side. And then, you know, you had um, the jet bikes and you had the ATRTs, and then they, they added a, cute, a few things. And then, of course, over time, they added some more. Um, and when I first talked about Legion when it first came out, I, I wished that there were more generals, sort of more leaders in the game. And I loved, uh, sorry, I wished for ways to add variety to existing basic troopers. Um, and I think that we've, hit that point not only do we have we gotten with the uh, clone wars box set we have two new factions so the game's bulked out to four so you're not just always thinking about one or two armies that you'll have to face you have to consider armies that have at this point distinctly different characteristics um and i think that's gonna make games way more interesting um, or events way more interesting as far as the variety goes. I mean, just the differentiation <clears throat> that you'll see on the tabletop will be impressive. That was, I mean, that was a hurdle for me at the beginning. Like mm. when I first heard about the game, it was like almost well, over two years ago. And I'm, I'm a mad gamer. I'm a Star yeah. Wars fan. Oh yeah. But I didn't immediately say, yes, this is a game I want to play because um, I, I guess because Star Wars has such a, certain look to it or at least mm. initially my initial thought was it's got a very certain look to it and there's not going to be a lot for me to do with that i can i can paint up uh, a couple of squads of stormtroopers and they're going to look like someone else's couple of squads of stormtroopers stormtroopers and we'll duke it out and yeah i guess the combination of a very expected aesthetic mm -hmm. and not seemingly a lot of variation between units it just like almost very sadly passed me by yeah but you know. um i started to think about all the things that are not emphasized so much in the movies but yep are there but they might be in the background or you know they're just a they're just a single shot in the background and uh, we can take that and say that was a that was a really cool one guy standing in the background there exactly uh, who's he fighting for why is mm -hmm. he fighting who are his mates? What equipment are they bringing? Where are they fighting? Let's let's figure that out. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the sort of thing that I want to do. Absolutely. And with the introduction of the upgrade packs for all four factions for the basic troopers, um, we're getting ways to add variety to just the basic troopers. You're not just going to see... <clears throat> well, you might, but you're not going to see as many rebel armies, for example, that are just all Z6 troopers. Um, you know, Not to mention the rebalancing of points has added... Um, the you know quote unquote viability to a lot of units that people weren't using before, um, and I think that's just really opened things up. Uh, and you're just going to see just a lot more creativity, I think, in Legion listing, which is great. And uh, you know, as I said, with the introduction of a third and fourth faction, I think it's just again opened things up. And with every expansion that's come out, there are more uh, you know accessory cards or upgrade cards that you can put onto your characters, onto the your units to give them 
you know, a little bit of flavor. And once you start sprinkling that on, you're able to now theme existing units um, to a particular army, to an, to an aesthetic or to a, a, an idea um, that really, you know, fits if you want to build an entire army built around a narrative. Now, I hear people in the background talking about efficiencies, yelling from the internet. Now, I understand. Um, Drew and I aren't necessarily going to be talking about efficiency, like the most efficient units or the most efficient builds or, you know, the way that you're going to try and curb stomp your opponent on a tabletop. But I will put that up front. We'll have that up front. Yeah, exactly. If you want to win games, there are better podcasts to listen to. But I I want to throw out a challenge. Um, And this is something that I've said before on other podcasts for other game systems. But I actually firmly believe that Legion is a fairly balanced game. I think it's 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 pretty damn good for for its balance for all the talk about the efficiencies. And when people are talking about the efficiencies in this game, I mean, they're really getting into heavy duty maths to figure out just how efficient things are and when they're mm-hmm. comparing things i would like to throw out there that now that the rebalancing in points have happened in particular there's i mean most things are quote unquote viable um and i'd like to challenge people to try and play a game or learn an army and play and figure out its character and really think about how to play it and not worry about the efficiencies because you think it's cool because guess what Everything in it's still going to be, you know, quote unquote, usable now that yeah. things have been balanced. Challenge yourself, win a game like that, and then I think you'll find if you you do it enough that, you know, the quote unquote efficiencies. What is it that Han says? Don't tell me the odds. I don't want to know. Exactly. I want to know what's is, cool. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Han summed it up. Never tell me the odds. That's right. That's right. Well, Drew, we've talked a little bit, or I've sort of outed our pedigree a little bit. You want to tell us a little bit about you as a gamer so we get an idea. Now, you are, as I said, the um, sort of the terrain slash the, the, the modeling hobby guy, but you are also an incredibly proficient war gamer with a long history of gaming. Um, you want to give us the, uh, the, 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 the elevator speech? Um, so I started gaming in my teens, like... A lot of gamers do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started playing uh, Warhammer Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, most people probably start with, well, most people of my age started with either Fantasy or 40K. Um, and I played Fantasy um, right up until it died. I was playing, I was regularly playing in tournaments uh, in my uh, in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And whilst I would not, I would downplay my success as a general, but I did want to, I did win a few awards as a painter slash modeler for, um, for armies. So, Absolutely. um, because for armies with a, with a strong theme that, that people like to look up. So, mm-hmm. um, and then when Warhammer died, I did not transition into, um, Age of Sigma. I looked at, um, Kings of War was probably mm-hmm. my, my next port of call. Um, and I really enjoyed that game, but uh, I think I think I just moved on as a person a bit. Um, I, I didn't have the time to go and meet lots of new people at at events every couple of months. Yeah, that that, that was that was me in my twenties. Uh, yeah. Now I've moved on. I'm <laughs> a little bit more isolated, a little bit more closed off. No, ho- hopefully I, I can I can go out and, and meet some more people playing this game, but. Um, but I'm, but yeah, like I said, as soon as I convinced myself that there were modeling opportunities and things that I can, that I can create and mm-hmm. little niches to fill with this game, I was in. 
Yeah, man. And you're th- and we're gonna talk about your army in a, in a couple minutes, but your Hoth army is amazing. <laughs> um, and that's <laughs> before. Thank you. Uh, and well, you you built it and painted it and converted it lovingly over time, and you still haven't added Tauntauns or the Hoth Veteran box, and it is totally Hoth all the time. So um, I think that is definitely worth talking about. But um, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll come to that. Um, How about you, Brad? Well, What's your background? I have a very long history of podcasting and wargaming. Um, I basically started gaming way back when. I basically started reading. Um, I basically learned to read from comic books and Dragon Magazine and worked my way up through games like Car Wars, Battletech, um, you know, all the classics, um, D&D, Marvel, the Marvel role-playing game back in the 80s, um, amongst millions of others, it seems. Um, and then it, at some point, I sort of stepped in uh, Warhammer 40,000, and I don't know what happened, and I sort of looked up 20-odd years later, having worked for Games Workshop Corporate in multiple countries, um, to have moved to Australia and um, sort of stepped away from that and started playing Warhammer Fantasy, where I met you. Hi, Drew. Um, we made it the tournament. We did. Uh, you have excellent taste in music, by the way. And <laughs> um, then we, uh, yeah, I, I, I started to play other game systems. Warhammer died. And uh, I got heavily into Bolt Action and was part of the Bolt Action Alliance, um, which is now, or I should say BoltAction.net, which is now the Bolt Action Alliance, um, was a part of podcasts like the Ghost Army Podcast, um, which, if you are familiar with that podcast, was uh, a podcast that sort of tore into particular battles um, and historical events and then talked about how to theme uh, your armies and missions to those events. Um, and those units, and that is kind of what I'm hoping to bring to this podcast, is to do sort of the Ghost Army podcast, if you're familiar with that, but for Star Wars Legion. Um, So yeah, we're really excited about that, and um, I guess if I was to go back, um, just to really talk about how old I am, uh, if I haven't already, is uh, I picked up Star Wars... um, I was taken to Star Wars because back way back when, of course, VCRs didn't uh, exist. And the only way to see a movie was in the theater. And thankfully, right before Empire Strikes Back came out, because um, I would have been too young when the A New Hope originally dropped, um, they showed A New Hope in the cinema. And I was taken to see that. And then, it, you know, it blew me away, changed the way I looked at toys and my life. And, I, you know, I have been a nerd ever since. And... Um, Somewhere along the way, between that and then a couple weeks later, going to see, or months, I don't know how long it was, um, going to see Empire Strikes Back. And, you know, that pretty much solidified my love of all things Star Wars. And because that was my my, my entry point, that time period, um, all my toys that were Star Wars were from that time period. Um, and then shortly thereafter, you know, a couple of years later, I picked up G.I. Joe and then I never looked back. So whereas a lot of people have collections, you know, Star Wars toys that sort of span massive amounts of years, mine's a very narrow window of Empire Strikes Back toys, of which I have a crud load. Um, my Millennium Falcon is the is the Empire Strikes Back Millennium Falcon. You know, I had the the X-Wing, the Dagobah playset, the Hoth playset, and had, you know, IG-88. Like, all my favorite toys were from that time period. So um, I'm massively into that. And so I'm pretty darn excited that in the first episode of this podcast, we're going to talk Hoth. Because Empire Baby, 
it's, well, that's I mean, yeah. that's my starting off point. Like, uh, I think when I was maybe eight or nine, um, I I somehow avoided exposure to Star Wars for for a good chunk of my life at the beginning. Um, so I, when I was about eight or nine, I saw the uh, just the Battle of Hoth. Uh, on some some friend had it playing at his house, and I saw it. And I th- just just seeing the ATATs, it's just like, what is that? Why, yeah. why don't I know what this is? Tell me more about this. Yeah. And I got no answers. But then I found a novelization of Empire Strikes Back. Nice. And so uh, as my grade three reading, I think I picked it up and started pretending to read it. And I, I was just waiting to get to the pictures in the middle because, like, I wasn't following the story. This is this is nine-year-old Drew uh, just not following. <laughs> and and my, my teacher called me out. She said, you don't know what's going on, do you? I said, uh, yeah, sure. Sure, I know what's going on. But no. <laughs> I just wanted to look at the pictures. Um, I th- and I think I didn't get much more until the um, uh, until the special editions got released in the mid-'90s. And, and that was the first time I saw, I think, all three films. Um, but from then... I was, I was completely on board. Uh, I was very excited for the uh, prequel trilogy, and I think maybe it's a good time to point out here that um, this this is going to be uh, possibly possibly an overly positive um, podcast. But yes. I mean, this seemed like a good good time to point it out that I quite like the prequel trilogy, mm-hmm. and um, you know, people describe it as like you're not allowed to like the prequel trilogy. And I think that's ridiculous. Well, I think it's um, funny that now the prequel trilogy is okay to like, and the new movies aren't. And you go, uh, I, I seem to remember this exact same hate when the prequels <laughs> were out. I mean, this seems to be cyclic, cyclical. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah. Look, I've said it on the ghost, uh, sorry, on uh, cast dice. And I'm going to say it here. Um, there's enough negativity on the internet. Um, we're we're going to talk about what we love. As my grandma does like to say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. And so if we talk about something on this show, we're going to love it. Um, now, I'm sure we're going to point out some ridiculousness along the way and we'll have a laugh about it. But we're never yeah. going to be up in your grill going, this is awful. Um, and Ryan Johnson ruined Star Wars. No, yeah, no. yeah, exactly. Look, there are some parts of Star Wars I'm not a massive fan of, but there, I mean, there's a reason why I have um, a Death Star tattoo. I mean, I am a massive Star Wars fan, and so if you're expecting some some critical hate of what's going on, you're not going to get it on the show. Like, if you want to talk it privately off air, I'm sure we can talk about something like that. Um, which is a good time to point out that we do have the Beyond the First Marker podcast Facebook page, and if you haven't found it yet please go. Um, we're going to be showing pictures of the units and the armies that we're talking about, uh, the terrain we're building, and we're also going to be sharing models from our friends and the local community. Uh, it's going to be cool, not to mention about a million Star Wars memes. So yeah, please check it out. Um, run over, hit like, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Just message the page. You'll get either Drew or I. And uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be great to see which one of us gets to you first. Well, Drew, I think we've sort of uh, exhausted introducing ourselves and the podcast and talking about sort of the expectations. And so people know what's going on. I think it's about a half an hour in. I think it's about time that we uh, we, we get this party started. So one of the things that we're going to do in every single episode of this podcast is, and it's just a bit of fun here, is to sort of quiz one another um, using Star Wars trivia questions. Now, we are going to get these from, uh, you know, it would be very easy for you and I, Drew, to go down some 
pretty weird rabbit holes to get questions, and I'm not sure how good that would make for listening. Maybe we will go down that at some point. Um, but we're starting with some very generic canned questions that we got from an old copy of Star Wars uh, Trivial Pursuit. Now, we are going off of two cards. We're pulling the best five questions we could find off these cards. Uh, I haven't seen your cards. You haven't seen my cards. And I got to say, um, if your cards are anything like my cards, mm, this isn't going to be the most challenging first round. However, this is how we're <laughs> going to start it out. So I'm going to quiz Drew with five questions. He's going to quiz me with five. And we'll keep a running score of how we're going. Um, and we'd like to encourage you to keep score at home as well. Um, again, I think this first episode might be a little bit of a warm-up. Uh, and not necessarily a hardcore challenge, but we are looking forward to making it a little more entertaining as we go. That said, um, I, yeah, I think this will be fun. So, Drew, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll wait to you first. All right. Do you want, question one. Which side of C-3PO's chest did the Jawas attach a restraining bolt? Uh, oh, uh, I can see it. I Oh, man. It's his left side. Uh, it's it's our left side. It's his right side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I got that <laughs> wrong. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, because I was thinking uh, the other way around. Okay, got it. I confused myself. I hate left-right questions. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, especially when it's stage light. Stage mm-hmm. left, stage right. All right, next question. Uh, what character uh, – sorry, what did the character known as Minch in the first draft of Empire evolve into? Um, Minch. Oh, that I don't actually know. Um, I didn't know this one either. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, maybe I shouldn't have apologized for these questions. How about... I'm going to go with my favorite character from Empire. How about Lando? Ooh, no, it's Yoda. Oh, wow, I didn't realize that. Okay, cool. Okay. I'm over two. Ouch! All right. All <laughs> Excuse my pronunciation. How does a cantina patron translate the remark of a drunken alien who tells Luke Negola Dewagi Wuldaga? He doesn't like you either. <laughs> uh, just he doesn't, or he like, doesn't you. like you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I don't like but you I'll either. Pay that one. Yeah. I'll pay that one. All right. <laughs> I'm painting those two at the moment, so I really hope I should know that. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. This one, I this one, I dare, I challenge. This one, I challenge. Uh, I'm going to read the question and the answer as they as they're written there. Okay. Uh, what ve- what vehicle did Luke Skywalker take down with a harpoon gun and a landmine? Well, it's a thermal detonator, and it was an ATAT. Yeah. Okay. Phew. All right. Okay. Oh, actually, I I think I so initially I was thinking about I was thinking Luke took it down with a harpoon gun like the tow cable. I'm like, hey, wait, no, Luke didn't do that. But the harpoon gun is in. He pulled himself up. Right. Yeah, okay, that right, works. Right, okay, right. so yeah. the question redeemed itself. Okay. Phew. And my last question, who created the unique sound effects used in the trilogy? The original trilogy. Oh, I'm terrible with crew questions. Um, uh, I, mm, it's not Ralph McQuarrie. He did visuals. It's not John Williams. He did music. It's not, yeah, I got nothing. Ben Burt. Oh, I did actually know that. That's too bad. <laughs> Oops. All right. All right. You got you got two for a first effort. Ouch. Right? Well, uh, let's start. I'm not going to. I'm not going to act so smug though, because uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking choking might be a thing. <laughs> first episode. Let's make ourselves look bad. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Um, how many landing struts does an X-wing have? And I know you know this. I just built one. 
Yeah. Uh, out of a Lego one. Uh, three. That's right. So obviously I got that one. Um, let's get a little harder. How many Ooh. sections comprised a Cloud City waste door? Um, namely the one that dumped Luke out into the atmosphere of Bespin at the end of Empire Strikes Back. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with 10. There were four. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Apparently. I'm uh, picturing something much more intricate. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. here we go. Uh, this one I think you know, but what is the serial number of the stormtrooper whose armor Luke wore on the Death Star? Uh, no, I, it's, it's like the George Lucas number. Yeah. Like it is. No, I I don't actually know the number, um, by heart. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to concede. TK421. TK421. Ah, I should have that one. All right. Yes. All right. Now this one, I actually, I got wrong when I was quizzing myself. So, um, which pilot flew red two during the first star Wars battle? Ooh, um, uh, that's Wedge, isn't it? Yep, Wedge Antilles, correct. Ah, because the, the the Lego X-wing kit that I have has swappable markings. So I know, I didn't even know they were there at all. But um, the the X-wing wings have a little red line on them. So um, Red Two has got two little red lines. Red Five's got five little red lines, and the 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 X-wing kit that I have has swappable. Parts, so you can make a wedge X-Wing or a Luke X-Wing. That's cool. I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, I'm really excited <clears throat> that Wedge is making an appearance in the new movie because he was my favorite fighter pilot. Um, Porkins aside, rest in peace, Porkins. Oh, but, and, but did you read X-Wing? The yeah, book series? Yeah, the book series. Oh, that was a brilliant series. I'm, yeah, way I'm, back I'm kind of disappointed they got um, decanonized, but anyway. Yeah. Last I'm just, question. I'm just glad oh, Wedge is back in it. Yeah, no, last question. Here we go. Uh, here we go. Uh, I, I think this is too easy. Uh, what squadron made the initial torpedo run against the first Death Star? Uh, like, so are we talking the, the, the successful run or the, the actual first one depicted? The first one shown in the movie. What was the, the first squadron that made the initial torpedo run? Against uh, the Death Star, I'm I'm drawing a blank here because I can only think of um, I can only think of Red Squadron, Blue Squadron. Good guess, good guess, but no. Um, I think it needs you need to go a little more nasally, and you need to think about the first ship that you destroyed me in X-wing with. It's a Y-wing. Oh yeah, yeah. I knew, I, I knew it was Y-wing, but I, I can't think what the Y-wing squadrons are called. Yep, it's the color on the wings that the ship that you wrecked me with, Gold Squadron. Ah. Gold Squadron. Yeah, that guy. That that nasally voice. Okay, so that's two it. That's two all. Um, <laughs> at least we're considering, tied. <laughs> considering how how kind of dismissive we were at these questions, we're not doing too well. I think uh, I at am, least we're both not doing too well. <laughs> I am never, ever, ever going to uh, make fun of the questions again because uh, that hurt. <laughs> Ouch. <clears throat> well, um, uh, look forward to next week when we can get even more problems wrong because we're going to try and out-clever ourselves. Ugh. What is it, General? My lord, the fleet has moved out of light speed. Comscan has detected an energy field protecting an area of the sixth planet of the Hoth system. The field is strong enough to deflect any bombardment. 
The rebels are alerted to our presence. Admiral Oswald came out of light speed too close to the system. He, he felt surprised, was wiser. He is as clumsy as he is stupid. General, prepare your troops for a surface attack. Yes, my lord. The Battle of Hoth, also known as the Assault on Echo Base, or the Evacuation of Echo Base, was a major battle fought in 3 ABY and was considered a major victory for the Galactic Empire and the single worst battlefield defeat suffered by the Rebel Alliance during the Galactic Civil War. The battle was an Imperial invasion led by Darth Vader, aimed at destroying the Rebel Alliance's Echo Base hidden on the remote ice world of Hoth, capturing Luke Skywalker. The base's location was discovered by a Viper probe droid deployed by Darth Vader's Death Squadron that had landed on Hoth. The Imperial attack force consisted of primarily of AT-AT walkers, commanded by General Maximilian Veers. His army was tasked with destroying Echo Base's main power generator to allow orbital bombardment of the planet and for Darth Vader to land on the planet. Spearheading the defense of the generator was Rogue Squadron, manning Snowspeeders commanded by Luke Skywalker, renowned for being the pilot who destroyed the first Death Star. The Snowspeeders, however, did not have the necessary firepower to bring down the Walkers, so Skywalker suggested an alternate tactic to rip up the Walkers with tow cables issued to every Snowspeeder. Despite the efforts by Rogue Squadron, the power generator was eventually destroyed by Veer's main AT-AT. The remaining uh, base personnel proceeded to evacuate as the 501st Legion, led by Darth Vader, entered the base. The overwhelming Imperial invasion forced the rebellion to scatter the Alliance fleet across the galaxy leading to a multitude of scattered skirmishes across the galaxy for over six months before the Empire's sudden and crushing defeat at the Battle of Endor. Ooh. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has been brought to you by Wikipedia. Now, um... Thank you, random editors of Wikipedia. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, Now, the Battle of Hoth is, of course, on the ice planet. Uh, It has been... Uh, of course, portrayed at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. Um, and it, the Battle of Hoth takes place uh, three and a half to four years after the destruction <clears throat> of the original Death Star, so after the events of A New Hope. Um, and at this uh, at this particular moment in time, there is sort of a gathering of le- uh, rebel leadership on, uh, on Hoth at Echo Base to discuss their plans. And as we said in the preamble... Um, provided by Wikipedia, that um, there were that probe, dro- probe droids were sent to planets all over the galaxy looking for the rebels. Vader, of course, recognized um, the power generator as somewhere where they could be and announced the assault. Um, now, the General Ozzel, sorry, Admiral Ozzel, the um, admiral in charge of the fleet at that time, uh, disagreed with Vader. Vader said, nope, that's where we're going, and Bob's your uncle, off they went. And um, Ozzel, despite Vader's request to <coughs> appear behind um, the far moon, did not, um, and jumped in right next to the planet. Of course, um, as part of this, the probe droid was uh, recognized by the rebels, was destroyed by Han and Chewie, and then that led... They didn't hit that hard. No, they, of course not, right? They just, <laughs> boom, I don't, I don't know what happened. Uh, and then uh, General Raikkonen of the um, 
of the Rebel Alliance uh, ordered the evacuation at that time, but it was when the Imperial fleet jumped in close that the power generators were put up, um, and that meant that when the fleet uh, circled above Hoth, the Imperials could not bombard the planet from space, um, nor could they land troops directly on the base for a direct assault. Uh, Instead, they deployed well north of the compound, uh, and Blizzard Force, um, under command of Maximilian Veers. By the way, Maximilian, really? Is I the only one that thinks that he should have a mustache and go, ma? Look at my yeah, 80s. I'm going to come voice get really you. Does, his voice kind of does match the name. It, it does. Look, I get He's it. He's just oozing with arrogance and yeah, like, yeah. You know, self-confidence, isn't he? And his face. But uh, moving on, uh, that does lead to the direct assault. Um, now, of course, during this time, the rebels try and evacuate the fleet. Um, hey, can I just, can I yes, just pause please. you there? On a, on a meta level here, this, yeah, this, is the first, this is the first land battle we've seen in Star Wars. True. In, 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 mm. in, in any situation. Correct. So arguably this moment here is also the inception of Star Wars Legion. Mm. Correct. Like this is this is... This is where it starts. Mm-hmm. That is cool. a very I good just, point. I just, I just, it's a fitting place to start this podcast. Cause... It is. And it's ironically where at that it's almost uh, at this point, it's a little bit before this, that this podcast gets its name. Um, Beyond the First Marker is, of course, talking about uh, the perimeter of Echo Base. But anyway, um, the, the AT-ATs of Blizzard Force uh, attack, they're supported by ATSTs. They're supported by, it's been described as flying gun platforms, which I don't believe we've ever properly seen in movies and or... Um, at least not in anything that isn't a comic book. Uh, so I think it's some of the uh, the uh, uh, novels that sort of tie into the battle. Mm. And then we have, uh, of course, the snowtroopers led by Vader uh, in the actual ground assault. Now, as part they of this, blast their way into the base. They, yes, they blow a hole in the side of the mountain and. Uh... In they go. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Veers is able to destroy the power generator, dropping the shields. Meanwhile, the rebels have been uh, evacuating transports with X-wing support, um, and firing an ion cannon at the star destroyers in space before, um, you know, allowing the transports to get away. Uh, and at some point, it all goes wrong, and they just start throwing as many transports out as they can because the net is tightening. Now, um, as said. As we said in the beginning, this is a tremendous defeat for the Rebels. Um, Echo Base was supposed to be a hidden, uh, secure location um, after the Yavin complex had been compromised uh, at the end of A New Hope. Um, And the Rebel Alliance had sort of spread itself around uh, amongst a bunch of bases. And apparently the only reason why all of the leadership happens to be at this base was for this conference or this meeting um, right before the probe droid lands, which is why you have... Um, the generals, you have Han and Chewie, you have Leia, and you have Luke Skywalker, sort of all in one place. Everyone's been sort of reunited, um, and that is why um, its evacuation is particularly important, because some of the highest ups in the Rebel Alliance are at that battle at that time. And so rather than fighting it out, they couldn't risk it, and they just had to scatter um, like rats from a sinking ship, which they did. Uh, not that I'm playing Imperials in this particular battle, at all now drew um that's sort of the 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 long and the short um what are your sort of thoughts about the battle of hoth do you have anything you'd like to add any um anecdotes that you picked up from your reading about this um where to start 
Well, well where to go? I think mm. it's it's as I said before, it's this is just iconic for most people, and um, I don't know, like with with all those, especially on screen with the AT80s walking around, this mm. you're not really looking at much else. Um, I I'm not sure whether the um, are the ATSTs in the original or were they were they added in the um, special edition? I am almost a hundred percent there in the original. I tried to go back and watch the original on YouTube today for that very question, and I am almost a hundred percent sure that as a kid I saw one and went, "What the hell is that?" As a kid, and went, yeah. "What's the two-legged one?" Because um, I think it's just a passing shot, and it's halfway through the battle, and it's just running around off to the side and it isn't actually shooting at anything. It is literally just running along. It's just there. It's just, it's just sort there. of suggesting, suggesting that there is more to the Imperial force than just, um, these walkers. Although why you would need more than the walkers, who knows? Like I'm sure there's plenty we're not seeing on screen, but those walkers, they're just so, they're just so intimidating and just unstoppable. You know, right. the, those, those lines of rebel troopers, they don't do anything. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Um, sorry guys, you, you put up a good fight, but really, you, know, you got you got lucky taking two down. Um. Now, Drew, I'm going to say something that might be a little heretical here. Um, as cool as I thought AT-ATs were as a kid, um, they weren't my favorite part of this battle. Uh, my favorite part, besides having that little 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 kid moment of looking at the ATST run in the background, going, "What's the little guy? What's that going on?" was <laughs> uh, <clears throat> was the actual base assault itself. Uh, now, as as keeping in mind that I love stormtroopers, I absolutely loved the look of the armor from the original movie, and I was completely unprepared as a kid for when the the door blew in the second time, like it did uh, in in a New Hope on the Tanif on the Tanif, all of a sudden the snow troopers arrived and I just thought they were the epitome of cool. I absolutely loved the way their helmet, the, the long helmets, um, the way their, their jackets or their cloaks were longer. Um, I just thought they were the coolest looking stormtrooper ever. And then well, they're, they're even more inhuman looking than the, uh, or, you know, they're even more covered up. Right. There's even less facial features than the original ones. So, mm-hmm. um, just, very cold looking, very, uh, very impersonal, very intimidating, very cold looking. I like what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, I mean, and it, it's that my, my, some of my favorite Vader moments, of course, are the beginning of a new hope, uh, the, the beginning of empire when he, you know, storms echo base, uh, you know, as part of that battle, I think it's fantastic. And of course, rogue one, where you actually get the promise of, you know, Vader, Vader wiping out everyone by himself. It's just awesome. So for me, um, when I'm looking at Legion for this, I mean, clearly there are people who make AT-ATs. You could get an, an AT-AT made, depending on how you want to say it. Um, and you could put it on the Legion tabletop. I mean, if you go to Disney World, of course, there's the talk of the AT-AT popcorn bucket being almost the right scale. Perhaps it's too small. Um, that's a whole other debate. But that was something that a lot of people were putting on tabletops as terrain in early parts of the game. Um, I, for one, have a destroyed AT-AT um, terrain piece uh, from uh, a 3D print company in the U.S. that is just fantastic um, that I like to put on my Legion tabletop. But that isn't actually an army on the tabletop. Now, Drew, shall we talk Imperials? If I was to build a force that was themed around this... Um, I was going to start with Darth Vader because 
just to recreate that scene from my childhood that I absolutely love, Vader being surrounded by a phalanx of storm, sorry, snow troopers, yeah. um, is just fantastic. Now, in Legion terms, that means probably the original Darth Vader. Although, if you're running Veers simultaneously, who's obviously also in this battle, you might use Operative Vader to to make things just to fit. make it a little bit more manageable. Yeah, those points. Yeah, exactly, because Vader's a lot of points. But the great thing about original Vader and what I think really makes it fit is the idea that it's the 501st. It's Vader's fist. It's the it's the legion that followed Vader into the Jedi Temple at, in, <coughs> in Revenge of the Sith. And yeah. so you have those guys as his backup. Now, with them, um, they're, you know, I like to think of them as being sort of implacable you just can't stop them they are unstoppable they're going to come at you and so with the original vader with the fact that his um his leadership value is that null it means that you can suppress them all day long and they will never run away they just don't care um as long as they stay near vader and i think that perfectly fits thematically um now if you're trying to squeeze the points and you get operative vader in he doesn't do the same thing. Um, he can be suppressed off. So from just from a mechanical standpoint, I would probably stay with original Vader. But I would Yeah, because back... this Imperial Force is is overwhelming. They've they're, right. they're confident that they, they know they're gonna win this. Um, you don't want to run off the table. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, now I was gonna back him up with the obvious troop of um, a, you know a wall of snowtroopers. Now snowtroopers um, have the reputation, of course, as being the unit, um, you know, as being fairly close combat specialists. Um, now they do have the the flamethrower, which is very close up, but they also have the ion trooper. And in the uh, FAQ recently, that of course uh, changed all the point values. Not only did the ion trooper get cheaper, um, his range got extended to three. So all of a sudden, the ion trooper on snows became, I think, a much more "quote unquote" viable option. Not to say that I don't have a couple painted as it is and have used them in games, <coughs> but all of a sudden, look, hey, a couple extra points. I'm not complaining. Um, now, I do love um, the fact with storm- snow troopers is a lot of people say how slow they are and how short their weapon range is. But um, you know, a lot of podcasts are talking about how good Tauntauns are and how good Shore Troopers are, and you know, because they get the free activations. But I'd like to point out that if we go back to Snow Troopers, now they're not maybe the quote unquote meta choice, but they do have the rule steady, which means that after you move, you can perform a free ranged attack. Now, having played a lot of Snow Troopers in our games, I've realized that no matter how many times you suppress them, if they're next to Vader and they're not running away, as long as they still have that one activation, guess what? They are still moving and shooting. Um, or, uh, you know, I, I guess you can't aim and shoot, but they are still, it's still that feeling from the movie where they're just walking off the hits and coming at you as long as they stay near Vader, which mm. I think perfectly feels, you know, fits this theme and really helps me to visualize how I want to build my force. Um, so I've included a bunch of flamethrowers in my army, and I've also included some ion just in case, you know, you run into some vehicles and for a little more long range punch. Um, but I've backed those up with the other thing that we haven't talked about so far, which is this is the first appearance of the E-Web. 
Um, now, the E-Web, mm. of course, is the uh, man-packed um, sort of laser cannon for the Imperials. Uh, and I think that uh, while you're moving your snows up with Vader and just moving forward, moving forward, moving forward, um, their range isn't fantastic, and they can sort of be picked apart at range. Um, I've rounded that out with a couple of E-Webs um, and some of, the, uh, some of the upgrades that you can add to them, um, depending on the game I'm playing. But yeah, some of the generators, I mean, it really, they really do add that long range punch um, that is, that the force really does need until it can get close up and personal. Um, and man, there is nothing scarier than looking down the barrel of a, a, a wall of snowtroopers and Vader coming <laughs> at you. Um, but if you can, you know, neutralize some of the, you know, some of the, the pieces that an opponent might use to uh, blunt that charge, uh, Tauntauns, for example, or, you know, some other unit, um, Royal Guard, whatever else. If you can start plinking those models off using your E-webs or put uh, strategic pins on to reduce the efficiency of some of the units that are coming at you, I think that really adds a lot, not to mention, especially if you back them up with an ATST, which you can do. Now, if you're going to put Vader and two E-webs and a bunch of, you know, troop units in, you're not really going to have room for a fully tooled ATST, but they did get cheaper. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of cool, fun stuff going on there. Um, I think you don't need a heap more in terms of, like, infantry, because no. we don't really see it. Like, the, the storm is, sorry, the snow troopers get dropped in fairly close. Everything else... Is, is mobile so mm-hmm. and vader got a lot more fun with the addition of the vader command cards from the operative vader pack so yeah i think there's oh i'm looking forward to putting vader i haven't i haven't run vader since those cards have come out uh and i'm or i guess they're not technically out yet but they're widely available so people mm. have been messing around with them um and i'm looking forward to putting those down um now i did mention veers and there is another set of options that you can add to this and while they're not necessarily pictured in the movie i would imagine that there would be empire support staff um somewhere in 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 that force so i'd imagine that perhaps you'd have some generic officers um i'd imagine you'd have a, a medical droid somewhere maybe an astromech um so I, I would imagine some of those would be in there. And with those characters, as you add them in, if you're going to use sort of the generic leader or you're using veers to really, you know, fit the theme for this, environmental gear, I think, is a must. I think you have to add that. Um, and also, I think strict orders um, also absolutely fits uh, a veers theme build. Um, I think as well with the, with the environmental gear. Sorry to no, please go ahead. Um, like if we're going to, if we're going to be, you know, we're not recreating battles here, but we're, we're, if we're kind of getting the look, mm. then you probably want a fair bit of difficult terrain on the board, mm -hmm. um, to, to get it to look like what's going on in the film. And then that's going to justify taking a whole bunch of sets of, um, of environmental gear. Right. Now, interestingly, environmental gear um, doesn't really do much on snowtroopers themselves because they're already speed one, and yeah. so is Vader. So I think that's more for um, some of the other units. Um, yeah, so Drew, is there anything else you would add there? I know there's the obvious, everyone's going to hear the internet yelling in the background, Electra binoculars on Veers. Okay, I got it. 
cool. <laughs> yes. Aim tokens are great. Um, what, anything yeah. that you would add there, Drew, or um, any other unit choices that you think would be a good fit for Imperials for this battle? I don't, I don't think so. I think from, from I'm, I'm just thinking about this from a modeling point of view, and really you are you are pretty well serviced by the stock models straight out of the box to do this. So if you do want to do a theme force and you're not very confident um, customizing your miniatures in terms of you know cutting them up, re- repositioning or, or sculpting, mm-hmm. um, this is probably a good place to start because you get your storm your snow troopers out of the box. Mm-hmm. They're done. Um, Vader, Veers, and the the e-webs are already in snowtrooper gear which is fantastic um incidentally in case you're thinking oh but if you're just basing off one box and you're talking about how to mix up your fours how can you do that um i own three e-webs um and i have one that i've cut up from my mid-bin force um so they have generic stormtrooper crew so i use some of those crew those spare crewmen and some of the crewmen from the existing snowtrooper builds um, and I sort of cut apart some of the arms. So instead of having the gunner hold with two arms holding forward, uh, I have one with one and then his arms sort of waving. I've taken some of the crouching snowtroopers from that, from the E-Web kit, and I've changed up the arms with some of the more regular conventional snowtroopers. And that's really added some nice variety. Um, Because those are two new poses of snowtroopers that, of course, are not in the snowtrooper box. And when you're trying to build an army or theme a force around one particular, you know, box of models, that really helps. Also, until recently, we weren't seeing a ton of ion troopers. In fact, I'm not sure we're going to continue to see a lot of ion troopers. So the ion trooper model is another model that I was cutting in and out, um, converting, you know, just doing simple arm swaps. And that really did also... Um, add some nice variety to the troops because it just meant that they weren't always all the same, which is really cool. Um, I don't know if this is, this is I don't know if this is getting off topic a bit, um, but I just it just made me think, and this is something that mm-hmm. again I thought of for this game for a long time is uh, because the models that fantasy flight games are producing want to reflect uh, what we see in the movies. Mm-hmm. Often, often you see. Um, you see specialist, like, or tactically special troops, units represented by uh, troops from a particular theatre. Mm-hmm. And it can make it difficult to, to make a coherent force using yeah. models from one particular uh, theatre. So uh, Imperials not so much because they, other than snow troopers, they tend not to adapt their gear to the to the climate where stormtroopers the... baby they're great anyway go ahead <laughs> they all look the same except for snowtroopers for some reason mm-hmm. but on well but you get those specialized models mm-hmm. that look like they should be in a particular theater it, it's and it's a worse it's worse for the rebels i find for this um in that as, as we'll talk about it or i will talk about it in a minute mm-hmm. um the Rebel troopers out of the box the, the, from the base game, they look more like the uh, like the the Endor Force from um, yes, they do Return of the Jedi. And then you have a uh, veterans box, which look more like the troops from Hoth, mm-hmm. who fill a very different role to um, 
to the base troops. They do. And to just put them on the table together, you know, if you want to build a force that that uh, plays in a certain way, it's going to look a little bit jarring unless you do something about it. Well, let's talk about how you did that because your basic rebel force that you were building from day dot with just the basic corset was a Hoth force. Now yeah. you added quite, you did, you did some pretty I, serious green stuffing. I'm going to upset the, the apple cart a bit here. I wasn't necessarily going for Hoth. I, I think I had something more, more like Starkiller base in mind, which was like a little bit more greenery, mm. I guess, but, but I, I just went to Hoth for, for, for inspiration and it's kind of become a Hoth, uh, right. it's a Hoth force, but I plan on making some trees to, to fight amongst just for some, just to break the battlefield up, which I know is not Hoth, but I'd like to look at them. Um, now, hold on. If you'd like to see pictures of the force that we're talking about now, um, there's a couple of pictures up um, through the Facebook page for this podcast, and we are going to add more as the week goes on. So uh, stay tuned, and we will be showing a lot of pictures of Drew's beautifully converted models uh, on the page so you can follow along while we're talking about it. Um, but yes, yeah, so when I first started, there were no um, veteran models. Uh, there were only rebel trooper models. That's right. And I wanted to do a, a, a cold climate force. So I decided to, I did a, a simple modification to the, um, to the basic rebel trooper model, which was just a bit of fur around the neck. Um, and to do that, I used um, a two part putty. I don't think I used green stuff. I used like a Tamiya, um, mm. Tamiya quick type. I, I like that. You can fire with a bit more than green stuff. Um, but it, w it works in a very similar way right. and um, very simple technique, but just sort of applied consistently across the whole army. And just that little detail mm -hmm. takes what is a fairly temperate looking uniform and makes it a very cold weather looking uniform. It really does. And adding to that, you, you, so I, when I started with my rebels, I bought a ton of heads from alien heads from Gadzooks because I didn't want the same looking rebel troopers. It's one thing to have a million stormtroopers that look the same, but I wanted my rebel troopers to look significantly different from one another. So I bought um, a, quite a few packs of their alien heads over the years as they've expanded them out. Um, and I've been, you know, mixing them into my rebel forces you on the other hand um did a lot of work on yours by literally sculpting them um i, I sculpted a couple i i because i know that the rebels make a point of not being uh, i mean not being a, an exclusively human organization right uh, there are still limitations to that because probably for practical reasons when they're filming but the rebels are supposed to be a bit more inclusive um and I didn't want to use the same Duros over and over again because that would just start to look – it would stand out. It would be repetitive. Yeah. Um, As someone who cut a lot of Duros heads off, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> so I I ended up – so I, I, I think I only used one Duros head. And I cut the Duros – I cut the heads off the rest of the Duros. And I – Probably, I think I cut them. I think I replaced them with other rebel trooper heads, mm -hmm. so that so that the Duros body had a human head on it, right? Which left me with other headless models, and then I've just sculpted different species as I've kind of come to it. Either sculpted or taken the cheap option and just painted them like with blue skin to make like a chess warrior or mm -hmm. uh, green or whatever. Just 
added different colors in, but I sculpted a couple as well. So I sculpted a Graham. Yes. So good. And I sculpted what I um, wanted to look like a Bothan. I'm not, I don't think I'm quite sure what a Bothan is supposed to look like. It's sort of like a cross between a space goat lion thing, yes. but <laughs> that's kind of what I went for. Um, I probably need to sculpt up a whole squad of Bothans. Mm-hmm. and then have them all die so that I can say many Bothans died for yes. whatever they just did. But uh, There's no dad jokes when we play these games, ever. Not at all. No. no. <laughs> We're very serious when yes. we play. Um, but yeah, so I've got a couple of aliens in there. You have um, some Twi'lek too, right? Oh, yeah, I did. I made a, I made a, a, tw- a Twi'lek. Uh, Twi'lek. One of my leaders. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that because they're... They're they're pretty easy to sculpt. There's no de- there's no surface de- detail on those uh, leku. They're just they're just um, worms of of putty. So there's if you've never used putty before um, and you're just getting into the hobby, um, doing some some twi'leks is is a, an easy starting off point. Yeah, some nice uh, some nice cylinders of uh, and then you make little cones. You round off one end or sorry, uh, taper one end and then you know, just attach it to the back of the head, to the flat yeah. bit, and Bob's your uncle. There you go. Man, why am I using all these weird Australian acronyms? <laughs> or, yeah. Anyway, moving on. And there's probably quite a few, um, there's probably quite a few aliens you could make like that, um, just in the same sort of way, I guess they, for the same reasons they existed in the movies, you know, like how can we make uh, Bim Fortuna look like an alien without mm-hmm. costing too much? I will just stick some... Um, some latex tentacles yeah. on the back of his head and put a strap over it and give him some pointy teeth and bam. You're all set. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm an alien. For painting, I just decided to go with the colors that the Hoth Troopers looked like they had mm. from the film. So um, fairly fairly muted um, pale colors. Um, to to offset the, the Stormtroopers, who are also a pale muted color, I tried to give the Rebels a bit more of a warm White palette. And you the, did. And the Imperials a cold white palette. So there's a yeah. bit more sort of beige cream off white for the Rebels and just straight up greys and white for the uh, Stormtroopers just to uh, visu- visually distinguish them. Yeah, your um, your Rebels have a very bony, creamy consistency um, compared to the, as you say, your Imperials are very stark. And it, they, they really do look very different on the tabletop, which is great to see given that um, often when you, see them, when you see them portrayed on the tabletop, they're often identical or very similar color palettes. I think you did a very good job of, you know, making that distinction very obvious. Thank you. Um, and then for the, probably the only other thing I thought I'd mention is the airspeeder. Um, the conversion you've mentioned already. Uh, we've talked about that, mm-hmm. but for painting it, I was really torn. I, I really liked the classic, you know, gray with orange markings, but I wanted to do something a little bit different to just make it look a little bit less, um, uh, a little, little more, little more slapdash because yeah. it's, it's a rebellion and you know, you know, they struggle to find their equipment at times. So yes. I went with the classic color scheme from the movie but then I went in and um, sponged on uh, a bunch of yellow mm-hmm. to suggest that this was a sand speeder or, or, or something that was mm-hmm. used on a desert planet and has been uh, whitewashed and sort of marked up to fit 
the new terrain on Hoth or the snow planet, but totally. it's it was a it was a rushed uh, rushed job and it's coming undone. Now, you did say that that was kind of the last thing you were going to talk about, but I'm not going to let you stop there because I think one of the coolest things that makes your army absolutely work is the fact that you have converted your characters um, and you have most of the uh, original sort of heroic lineup in your army already, and I know you're looking to add the rest. But let's talk a little bit about your Han um in particular, and then maybe some of the other models that you converted, because they look sensational. Oh, thank you. The Han, Han, um, he needed a bit of work, so I, I added a, a big furry hood to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave him some, some cuffs on his sleeves just to sort of turn his, his fairly light jacket into a much heavier-looking jacket, mm. um, and I had to give him a set of goggles as well. So I tried to, I tried to match... Um, Han, when he's out with with Chewie, we 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 didn't hit it that hard. Um, when, <laughs> exactly. when they when they're taking down the probe droid, leave my probe droid alone. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going for. Nice. Um, the model the model works like totally. The, the, the model the model I had the base on still still fits. I'm like, it still looks like Han to me. Mm-hmm. So I was happy with that. Um, Leia, I I had to do a fair bit to Leia, and because. Uh, I wanted to get that kind of um, padded look that she's she's wearing. That sort of mm-hmm. uh, almost jumpsuit. It's not, I don't think it is jumpsuit because it's two different colours, the pants and the top. But right. she's got a very sort of heavy padded, padded top on. Um, but because I had to work on top of the existing textures, it, it, it looked a little bit too padded to me. <laughs> um, so she looks a little bit top heavy. But um, I was still I still thought it worked out pretty well. Absolutely. And for all these, I just painted the hands white to represent gloves. gloves so uh hands as are but just put just give them some sort of heavy cuffs and then paint the hands colored and it looks like they're wearing heavy gloves so that works uh that worked well in all cases and for luke um i should so the first thing i did with luke as i did with vader was to cut the blades off and mm-hmm. um put some leds in there uh i was really pleasantly surprised to see that you can buy some really tiny LEDs now that are pre-soldered. So you don't need to solder anything. So good. And I haven't. (laughs) Um, So my original plan was I found this product. It was um, conductive paint. And I thought I'll just paint before I prime, I'll just paint a line up one leg and a line down the other leg. And that'll be my circuit. And how'd that work out? have a button in the base. Um, that paint between Luke's feet and his hands, way too, way too much resistance. Yeah. Um, and not the thematic kind. Um, so it did not work. Nice. Yeah. So I got rid of the conductive paint. I, I still have it, but it's, it's dead to me. It's useless. It's useless. I then had to go with the, uh, with the brute force way of running the, LED leads through Luke. And to do that, I had to cut him up into a lot of different pieces because you can pretty much only drill in a straight line through a model. And so I cut him into pieces and I drilled some thin channels through his arms, down his torso, down his legs that come out of his feet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's a button cell in the base. And so the LED sits just inside his fists and it's, it's tiny. Like it's, I think it's about 
half mil by half mil square is the the LED chip. It's it's minuscule. Um, so they're easy to hide in things. And the cool thing about these is that um, seemingly there's enough resistance in them that, that you only need the LED and a button cell. You don't need any other right. um, components. And I was expecting to need to add some more resistance, but they're fine. So, um, so the LED sits inside his hands, in, inside his fists, and then I just attached a piece of acrylic rod. A clear, clear acrylic rod. I bought LEDs of different colors. So I got some greens, some reds, some blues. And the acrylic rod is all just transparent. Sweet. Yeah. I was looking for colored acrylic rod. I just couldn't find it thin enough. So, Man, um, it looks really sweet. And I, I didn't realize that you actually sat that in his hands. Um, it is It hides so well. I was actually just looking at pictures of your model and it, yeah, it, it's pretty spectacular that you're able to get that in that little tiny space, especially given um, how challenging, again, I don't want to sound critical here, but the, the soft plastic, particularly of the earlier kits, is mm. a little challenging to work with sometimes. And to be able, I, I would have imagined you would have had to do some significant cutting to be able to, um, yeah, get get all that in there. Um, because it, because it is very hard to drill through from personal experience. Yeah, um, I, I think after I had done all that structural work, I still wanted a Hoth Luke, which um, is flight suit Luke. Mm-hmm. But I, I was just, I was beyond uh, doing any green stuff or any sculpting work. So I just took the stock Luke and painted him orange. Yeah, and I didn't give him a flight vest. Is that what it is? What's yeah, it's called a flight vest. Exactly. Flight I didn't vest. give him that. He hasn't got that the weird strap that goes underneath his junk. He's just Luke out of the box, painted orange. And I like looking looking at it at first glance. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Luke in a flight suit. It doesn't. It yeah. It doesn't bother me that he's missing the vest. Yeah, I actually had. <clears throat> I've been playing against your Luke since we started playing this game and it, I mentioned to you the other day, I was like, Oh, you must've put a lot of work in by um, puttying the, the flight strap between his knees. And you said, I don't have a flight strap between his knees. It's just your paint job is it's, it's, it's a good paint job on the model. And because it's the different color, my brain automatically added it. And I didn't even realize my memory had done that. And it was, <laughs> I assumed he had the flight jazz vest and it isn't until I, until I just looked at the picture that I realized, he didn't have that. Um, so yeah, again, I think I think sometimes in Legion a little bit of um, a little bit of painting and you know the fact that we have such strong ingrained memories for some of these movies means that our brain adds details that sometimes aren't there, uh, which mm. yeah, which you know is helpful. And I, I like having the orange in there as well. I think I think it's because again we're working with with sort of the a very expected color palettes here mm -hmm. and um without luke there the army is is very beige yes uh, literally but yes. yeah it's very so beige. beige um and so having some elements of color there you, it's hard to make all the individual models pop yeah but you could still make the force pop with a couple of well-placed um bits of color um like not to not to get ahead of ourselves, and we'll talk more about this later on. But I really like your bounty hunter squad that you've been Thank um, you. putting together because it's going to add some 
new colors to your force, mm-hmm. which which aren't going to be there otherwise. Exactly. And I know I was talking about coherency before, um, but I think this I think this is warranted. I think it yeah um, it's going to add some some visual interest to your force. Exactly. And, you know, when you have a wall of stormtroopers, adding something that's a little bit different goes a long way. Uh, but we'll talk about that when we talk Mimbin next week. Oh, yeah. Sorry, next month, next episode. Sorry. Um, now, Drew, you also spent some time converting up your laser tower, your 1.4 FD laser cannon. Um, now that's fairly, yeah, the pizza, the pizza plate cannon. Um, it's fairly (laughs) straightforward, right? You didn't do a ton of converting to it because the crew were already in Hoth gear, but you did, you (laughs) you did. Yeah. Woohoo. Um, but you added a lot of snow. Um, it, it absolutely feels like a static piece of the Hoth terrain. And I thought that was a really nice flourish that really makes it tie in with the rest of your force. Yeah. I, 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 figured out a recipe for snow that I'm really happy with for the models that I've been using. Um, I just, I, I was trying to find out ways to do it on the cheap, like buying baking soda or anything like that. But everything, I, I read too many things that said baking soda is going to cause you problems. And it turns yellow. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought I read things saying, here's how you do it. So it doesn't turn yellow. I heard other things saying it's going to turn to green slime in, in, in three years time. And I was, Ooh. I just said, no, nah, I'll just, I'll just splash out and buy some, uh, some I got some woodland scenics mm-hmm. snow snow effect, um, and it's just a mixture of that with some water and some PVA. You make a bit of paste and just sort of plop it on, and it if, if you make it wet enough, it 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 smooths itself out. It finds its level and it um, it just looks like lumps of snow to me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, people who live in snowy climates might disagree with me, but uh, it works for me. Yeah, you know what they say. Eskimos have uh, 50-some-odd ways of saying snow. So (laughs) there's a lot of different kinds of snow, buddy. Just saying. As someone who grew up in Boston, there's a lot of different kinds of snow. Now, uh, Drew, let's let's get into how you would build your force. Not uh, physically, because I know you've talked about that. But how would you... What would you put into a themed rebel force? We did talk at length about how you do an imperial one. Um, I mean, clearly you have your choice of characters from the movie. There's tons. You have Han, you have Chewie, Luke, Leia. I mean, R2 and 3PO when they come out. I mean, there's just tons of choice that you can Mm. sort of stick in there. Um, How are you going to build a force that's themed for Hoth? And well, don't rebels... say Tauntauns. We already know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the obvious ones. Um, the, the Rebels are a much more static force in this battle. Right. Like they're, they're entrenched. Um, my uh, – this, this is my sort of initial very tongue-in-cheek suggestion was um, was to model the army all in trenches and just like stick the heads on the bases and, mm-hmm. and say, it's thematic. Um I won't talk about true line of sight right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I decided not Feelings. to go with that route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but so I, I've just got a lot of a lot of um, a lot of bros on the line. Um, I've got the laser the laser cannon. I'd possibly get a second one. Uh, I do have a second one. I just haven't mm-hmm. um, painted it up yet. Um, well, just in terms of equipment. Um, now you do you do own um, the ion cannon. I know you've painted some ion cannons. I know you've painted up um, some of the um, the rotary cannons. Are you excited about the new uh, trooper expansion that gives your rebel troopers um, and you know some different 
different specialist types, different weapon types. Have you been paying attention to that? Do you think that would help uh, add some variety to your Hoth force? Yeah, I think it would mix things up. I don't like looking at the looking at the films. I don't remember seeing a lot of um, a lot of uh, special special weapons in the in the troop squads. Right. Um, possibly as a as a sort of a bit of a tenuous link to the theme, but probably Ion just to sort of you know yeah, have a nod yeah. to that the Iron Cannon sitting up there taking down Star Destroyers. Um, so that's probably what I would go for. Uh, just in that force, even though I'm probably not going to be using the iron cannons to take down um, ATATs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> nice. But I'd probably, I'd probably um, use Leia would probably be a good, a good choice for a static force because she's got some, some more passive effects that, that help the troops around her rather than taking the fight. Definitely to the enemy, um, and so I think that's that's the style of play that I would go for is um i i, I shudder to say it, but a bit of a gun line um obviously i haven't got around to it yet but i i would get some tauntauns and put them in there um and i haven't got any veterans yet either but i'll probably put those in there as well and that will definitely add out a few give you a couple more uh weapon options because there's the the emplacement trooper that comes alongside that and that'll be cool because that'll add a little more firepower to your gun line yeah <clears throat> Nice. Um, and then to cap it off, and this is the this is the uh, maybe the elephant in the room. I would absolutely one hundred percent have an air speeder in my army. <laughs> uh, yes. And every single battle I've played, I've taken that air speeder because you have. I love the model. It fits the theme, um, and I just. I want to use it. I want to play with it. Yeah. And I think especially since both the speeder itself and its upgrades received that points drop, um, I think that really has opened up some nice new options for you to add to the rest of your army, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, It it just lets you fit a few more things in there. I probably haven't played around too much with with the spare points to see what I could really do with them yet. Um. But I, I, I'd like to try some of the new options for the uh, the, the new um, upgrades. The trooper squad upgrades. Yeah, just see what I can fit in there. What, what's going to sort of help the uh, help the force do what it needs to do. Nice. Now, of course, they're not explicitly mentioned in uh, the movie or maybe seen, but there are a bunch of guys pointing rifles and shooting. So um, it's I know it's people have mentioned that this would be an ideal sort of force that you could add some snipers in as well. I know that they are very popular, um, but I think that if you are making this rebel gun line, I don't think that would be out of place. In fact, you have a very well-painted sniper as part of your force um, that matches your army well. Oh, thank you. I did go. I did go slightly colder white for the for this um, mm. for the scouts just to just to differentiate them a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't manage to fix the warp in my sniper rifle. I, I did correct it, and it, it's, uh, it warped itself back again. Yep. Well, <laughs> my uh, mine is equally saggy. So I hear what you're saying. It it's uh, it's part of the piece. Um, I do um, now. While we're talking forces here, now you did mention you have the laser cannon. Um, now I absolutely love the look of that laser cannon. But as I said, as a kid, I had the Hoth playset, and 
I did not have the ATST or the ATAT, but I did have the Hoth playset, which had the laser cannons on it. And for me, when they put out the the laser cannon, I was always hoping that they would do the DF nine, which is you know the the taller the cylindrical turret. Um, that I those were the ones that grabbed me as a kid, and I played yeah. with constantly, mainly because you could open up and put action figures inside and then close it. I don't know why. <laughs> I just thought that was cool. Um, and because of that, when Gale Force Nine put out their Battlefield in a Box uh, expansions for Star Wars Legion, I know a lot of people have been talking about how maybe they're not the right scale at times, but they do a beautiful, if not very expensive, uh, shield generator because you have to buy each segment of the generator and then put them together and each part uh, okay. yep. is not inexpensive in Australia. Um, however, they are nice and huge and well painted. I have seen them in person. They're great. Um, I am, I'm really happy though with the laser turret attach or box that you can get as part of that range. Cause not only do you get the pizza gun, you also get a DF nine. Um, and that was Awesome. So I bought one of those for when we start playing more games in Hoth. Um, now, I don't know what I'd use that on the tabletop for, even though I really want to put it there. So I have some black cotton. And so I'm thinking about drilling a hole in the roof, just a small one. So if I didn't put it on, it wouldn't <coughs> be noticeable. But running a pin through the wool and maybe having you run one of your LEDs and lights through it. Yeah. Um, and so all of a sudden it looks like it's been hit and is sort of exploded and is destroyed. But I think, you know, it's not necessarily going to add a ton of terrain to the tabletop, it being a cylinder. Um, <laughs> however, I think it would add a nice visual to a tabletop that would absolutely make an otherwise, you know, I don't want to say barren, uh, frozen wasteland, but cause there will be other terrain on there. I have seen your Hoth board and it's gorgeous. But if when you add with lots of terrain, but once you add something like that, it all of a sudden goes from being wintry to Star Wars. Yeah. Um, yeah. How how big is your how big is the um turret? The the Gale Force Nine one? It is so the pizza gun is significantly larger than the FFG model, for those wondering. Um and I'm going to pick up the turret right now while we're podcasting. Um it's maybe four inches tall. Uh, I don't see my tape measure handy. Um, but yeah. How wide's the base? I'm, I'm wondering how wide the base is. It's, it's very small now that I'm looking at it. Again, my memory of it is huge because of the toy that I played with as a kid. Uh, weirdly, the turret on the top is bigger and the cylinder it's sitting on is smaller okay. than the actual I'm Star thinking, Wars. Like, I mean, uh, lines of sight aside, and we, if we, if you, you know, have a gentleman, gentleman's agreement, mm -hmm. could you not just use it as a second um, laser cannon? Oh, absolutely. You would just have um, it being line of sight issues. It would just be taller um, than the yeah. The, the other but you one. could maybe you could like um, like paint some markings on it that indicate the height of the uh, of the uh, laser cannon. True. How yep. high that would be in say like. If we're worried about line of sight, this is how tall it actually is. You know, just look at these markings. But you could make the markings look like battle damage or something like that. So they wouldn't, yes, you know, they wouldn't absolutely. look out of place. But just gives you an indication of how tall it should be. And it is a nice pre-painted bit of terrain. I do love it. Um, I do think it is fun, though, that, uh, of course, it has the door modeled on it. It doesn't open. But it just from the guy, from a kid who played with that toy, I love that detail that it's on there. And, um, yeah, very fond. Anyway, so... Um, 
Drew, I did mention that you have a tabletop of Hoth terrain. Um, you want to talk to us a little bit about how you made that because a terrain is an important part of how we make the Star Wars uh, universe come to life on our tabletops. Um, what did you add? Um, because you've added a few really cool and interesting bits that have made your table pop. Um, I was lucky enough to find a, um, it's out of scale, but it was a, um, a Millennium Falcon at my local op shop. Mm -hmm. Just sitting there. It was a, it was a Revel kit, I think. Um, probably closer to 172nd scale, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, like, like Hot Wheels scale. Yep. Um, but I wasn't fast. So I just took that. I cut it up um, and just had it stuck stuck in the snow, like a kind of water scenario. The the Falcon got shot down on, mm -hmm. on the way out. Ugh, bad luck. Uh, <laughs> bad luck rebellion. But you didn't but, just cut it in a way that you would normally expect with maybe a quote-unquote crash spaceship. You cut it sort of uh, horizontal. You cut it down the middle on the side, and then you have the you have two very long bits that are sort of round that stick out of the ground, sort of the back in one part and the front in another. Yeah, and by so doing so, sections. you've made some very effective um, blocking terrain that is really useful when you're looking at a barren landscape like Hoth. Yeah, so the, the front section sticks up about 10 inches above the battlefield. Um, it, is a, it is blocking terrain, but... Um, you know, there's there's a few things scattered on the base around it that you can like the the dish that's sitting stuck embedded in the snow, so you can mm -hmm. get in and around that. Um, and I did a fairly simple paint job on that, just you know, just washes and a few picked, picked out panels, um, and then just uh, hit it with the snow, which um, on top of a simple paint scheme, I was quite happy with how that turned out. Mm -hmm. um, I gave the I gave plaster rocks a bit of a a bit of a try just to see. So I made some yeah. sort of rocky outcrops, hill type things, which um, they're a little bit more interactive. So you know you can walk on top of them, you can you can move troops on top of those. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the terrain I've got for for that table is is blocking terrain, and I, it'd be nice to have a few more interactive pieces. I've just picked up some yeah. trees, um, and I'm planning to make some forests, some sort of snowy forest, a la Starkiller Base, um, mm -hmm. with um, some sort of removal sections, so they are functional game-wise, but hopefully they have a bit of detail, a bit of interest to them. Mm -hmm. um, someone was nice enough to give me a 3D-printed crashed TIE Fighter. I don't know who that would have been. Um, um, it is it is from Legion Terrain, by the way. In case you're wondering where I was talking about the wrecked ATAT from before, I got the wrecked ATAT <laughs> and the wrecked uh, Imperial Fighter from LegionTerrain.com. Uh, and they are excellent. I highly recommend if you have not checked them out. Anyway, really sorry. Nice yeah. So Drew, ha um, yeah. So yeah. you have that as well. Yeah. And yeah, I've and and just working with snow effects. Um, I didn't use that snow snow recipe for all the terrain because right. even that would even that would cost me a bazillion dollars in mm -hmm. in snow. Um, so I found. Um, who was it that told me or, or pointed out? I think it was Mel, the terrain tutor, who suggested mm -hmm. using um, acrylic cork. Yes. That's so right. acrylic cork mixed with some um, some just plain white, like you know, acrylic white paint, mm -hmm. like the cheap stuff, not, not your model paint, just cheap poster paint kind of stuff, um, and a little bit of your snow flock mixed all together to make a paste and then use that to, to paint up. Um, 
and then dust. Once you've done that, dust it with your snow effect, and that gives you really nice, thick-looking snow um, without without using like a whole tube of uh, woodland scenic snow effect to cover you know terrain pieces. Because if, if you did that with just snow and PVA, it would it wouldn't go very far at all. No, and you it would be very expensive to do on a mass scale. Right on. Yeah. And and yeah, so you have more than a full terrain uh, table of terrain there. Um, now we've been putting it on my uh, mats. Now I typically use Deep Cut Studios. Um, I use a bunch of their cloth mats because they're easy to store. Uh, and they have some fantastic uh, three by three mats. I have two three by threes that I put side by side, and it works well by six by three. But I'm pretty sure you can still get their mats in six by three as well. Uh, and okay. they do a very nice winter board. Um, and the great thing about those is that they're m- machine washable. Uh, so, you know, after a lot of, because I've been using those for all sorts of events and game systems, and because they're white, sometimes, you know, they, <laughs> they get a little dirty. Uh, and so just being able to machine wash them and not have them be totally ruined is, is just a fantastic feature. Uh, I know a lot of people like mouse pad mats and I have quite a few as well. Um, they're just harder to store, uh, when you have as much terrain as I do, but, um, to have those cloth ones, just be able to fold up neatly. And basically they take up about as much room as a t-shirt folded up in a closet. Uh, it's just such a godsend. It's amazing. So yeah, fantastic. Um, I was just thinking, Brad, for, for those who aren't here um, from Cast Eyes, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's probably worth putting up a link or something for them to see the uh, – we did a we did a battle report uh, a few weeks back, which is on YouTube. Mm, that's right. On the Cast Eyes yeah, YouTube page, yeah. Yeah, and people can see the terrain we're talking about and some of the figures we're talking about there. And your Hoth army, absolutely. Well. Yeah. Well, Drew, I think uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of uh, talking about Hoth today, one of my favorite Star Wars battles. Uh, I'm sure we could have gone into more tap- tactical death, and perhaps we might in the future, or in a YouTube battle report, but um, I think this is a good place to start for us. Uh, any final words you have for our lovely audience before I start talking about where they can find us? Uh, just, just thanks for listening to our first episode. Um, it's been... It's been exciting to get to get where we are now, just to sort of plan and get things set up. And I'm really excited to um, to bring people more of what we're doing in the hobby, yeah. but also to see what other people are doing. Yes. So I'd love to be I'd love to be a place um, where people can can share what they're working on, mm-hmm. um, show off the themes that they're proud of, um, show off the armors that, that they think are cool, um, because. That's that's what we want to see is just uh, people putting things on the table that they're proud of and that they're excited about. Absolutely. And we have intentionally set up our Facebook page so that people can share some of their work. Um, and if for some reason it isn't working, you can please just uh, message us your pictures and we can share. Um, we've already got pictures up from friends of the show, Dan, friends of the show, Jermaine, and friends of the show, Brian Cook. Um, and look, we're going to share our own stuff and lots of other people's as well. Um, I have quite a lot of beautifully painted things from our good buddy patch that I will also be sharing. So yeah, absolutely. And I do want to also thank you guys for listening today. Um, I know this is a little different from a lot of the star Wars Legion podcasts that are out there and we are still kind of finding our sea legs, but, 
I hope that you enjoyed this, and I hope you come back. Um, we'd love to, to to enter in a new uh, a new way to talk about Star Wars Legion with you. Uh, now, if you are looking to find us, you can find uh, this podcast on most podcatchers. Um, I particularly use iTunes. Um, guys, I won't make a, a big deal of asking for you uh, to do this every week, but I, it is being the first episode. If you liked what you heard today or you are interested and would like to hear more, I would uh, ask that you please uh, click subscribe um, both to the Cast Dice Facebook page, sorry, the Cast Dice YouTube page and the Beyond the First Marker Facebook page and uh, subscribe to the podcast just so folks can find us um, and we can help to find an audience for a brand new podcast so again i would like to thank you so much for joining us today and uh, we look forward to talking more star wars in the future thanks brad and thanks to the audience that's right and until next time gang may the force be with you Thank you for listening. For more information about the topics discussed in today's episode, please find our Facebook page by searching for Beyond the First Marker. Please message us there if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions that will help us improve the quality of this show. Until next time, may the Force be with you.